Protestants have demonstrated a specific tendency toward economic rationalism. This tendency has not been observed in the same way in the present or the past among Catholics. Therefore, the cause of the different behavior must be mainly sought in the enduring inequality of these religions. Max Weber from his book, The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. Hello everyone, welcome to the Manacast, conversations about a vision of life that is truly good news for us, for our neighbours and for the world. My name is Jacob Garrett and with me as always is Jonathan Cornford. G'day folks. Manacast is the podcast of Managum, an organisation all about talking about the intersection of Christian faith with ecology and economics. Pretty much every topic we cover on the Manacast, John, I'd say is close to your heart in some sense. But I think it's probably fair to say the topic we're covering today is a little closer than some. What are we getting into today? Well, we're looking at uh, the the subject matter that was given currency by Max Weber, the idea that Christianity gave rise to capitalism, one of the really influential theses of the 20th century. And it's a really important one for understanding both capitalism and, and for, for my end, Christianity. And as Protestants, both of us, it's a little bit disturbing if Weber is right, that there's some link between capitalism and Protestantism, would you say? Well, there's a lot at stake uh, because uh, capitalism is the economic system of endless accumulation and Christianity is a religion of self-giving love whose founder said you can't serve God and mammon and it's harder how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So um, if it were true, then it would have some disturbing things to say about Christianity. And, and actually, the, this idea has given a lot of uh, resultants in pretty serious distortions of the way we, we think about Christianity. So it's an important topic. Mm. I'm looking forward to it. But before we get in, we're going to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're living and recording on. And for me, that's the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And as we learned a few episodes ago... The Wurundjeri people are the people of the Managum and the Grub. And I'm talking to you from the land of the Jajawurrung in central Victoria, Bendigo. We'd like to acknowledge these peoples as the traditional custodians of these lands. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. So that quote we began with, it's from Max Weber's book, The Protestant Work Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. And in that quote, he appears to be saying there's something inherent to Protestantism and the, particularly Protestantism rather than Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy. Mm. And he, he calls it economic rationalism, it tends towards this particular approach to economic life. And some people summarize that argument pretty much as Protestantism. Protestantism is what creates capitalism. And whether or not that's true, is that at least a fair summary of Weber? Uh, sort of, but not quite. Uh, so, you know, the, the, um, it's, it's important to say just how influential Weber's thesis, uh, the Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism has been in the 20th century. And it's one of those books, which, uh, few people have read, but lots of people think they know what it says. <laughs> and yeah. there's probably even a larger number of people who, who, draw on the core idea or at least a bastardized version of the core idea yeah. of it and don't have, have never even heard of the book or Max Weber. Um, and that bastardized version is, as you put it, that, that 
Protestantism gives rise to, to uh, capitalism. Mm. Uh, so what Weber said is not quite that. He had, that quite, he had a much more complex view of how capitalism came about, but he does see a causal link between uh, the Protestant Reformation uh, and in particular the ideas of Calvinism and the rise of capitalism. Mm. So even for people who have never heard of Weber or that book, where does that kind of link, that bastardized idea come about? Where do we see it play out in life or politics? Oh, well, um, so we, there's, uh, at a very simple level, we can, there's, I guess, two versions of it. There's, uh, for those who have a critique of capitalism that leads to um, a very negative view of Christianity, uh, Christianity is blamed for capitalism, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, and so uh, uh, that has a big impact on how people think about the church and, and, and the gospel. Uh, and then there's a whole other group of people who've, who've taken like a positive spin on it. And Weber wasn't positive at all, but uh, who have taken a positive spin. And, and uh, these are pe people who celebrate uh, capitalism and say, yeah, and look, Christianity and capitalism go hand in glove. And let's uh, celebrate uh, really the, the product of Western civilization and giving us Christian capitalist civil uh, society. Um, mm. so, so there's sort of two, two versions of it you see. If I like Christianity, I like capitalism. If I don't like capitalism, I don't like Christianity. Yeah, yeah, and and that's how it's put essentially mm. by by some people. But that's not what Weber was saying. No, no. So, so what's he trying to get at? Uh, so Weber uh, had a quite a negative view of Chris, of capitalism, uh, and he had a pretty negative view of of uh, ultimately of Christianity and particularly of of, of Calvinism. Uh, but he 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 was, I mean, his a very uh, um, big thinker and subtle thinker. So he didn't let his prejudices get too much in the way of thought, of his thought. Uh, he is really, but he does think that there's some sort of link between the rise of Protestantism and, um, and capitalism. And what he's, I mean, Weber is seen as the, as the one of, as the father of sociology mm. and his, his big project, if you like, his sort of, which is his life's work, is to look for what the cause between what people now call the great divergence between Europe and the rest of the world. So, you know, he's living just at the tail end here. So he's writing in the early 20th century. The 19th century was really the, 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 the century where Europe uh, technologically and economically leapt um, past the whole rest of the world, past China and India uh, and and began to colonize the, uh, the whole world in one, one way or another. Um, and they're try, trying to explain this incredible phenomenon, this little uh, rump of the, of, of the Eurasian continent, Europe, how it's come to dominate the world. And uh, people are looking at science and technology and religion and capitalism, all these things. And, and Weber's looking for, for what's, the, what's that, the secret source in Europe that leads to this world domination? And he mm. sees capitalism as part of that, and he wants to try and explain, well, do we find the cause of capitalism somewhere in Europe's religious views? And as a, someone who is interested in what we now call sociology, he, he was always making links between what people believed, uh, their religious view of the world, and then how, and how that influenced their conduct in the world, uh, which is a really important... Uh, so he, he's actually... Uh, 
sparked an enormously fruitful realm of inquiry for people thinking, uh, interrogating, how do our religious beliefs influence our behavior? Mm, absolutely. And we should, we should say that along the lines of that Weber approach, we're looking particularly today at the historical link, right or wrong, between Christianity and capitalism. We're not going to get too much into the theological link, whether yeah. it's there or not. Yeah, yeah, we'll stick yeah. with the history today. Yeah, and in line with that historical emphasis, uh, another historian we've covered on the podcast before, R.H. Tawney, he had a bit of a, an, an engagement with Weber on this sort of thing. Sometimes people understand him to be saying something very similar to Weber in that book. Um, but he was particularly influenced, or he was particularly interested in what the relationship between Christianity and capitalism was. But he wasn't really saying what Weber was saying, that the changing religious ideas of the Reformation, particularly John Calvin's theology, that they were key, along with others, in bringing about the modern capitalist civilization in Europe. What what was he getting at if it wasn't that, though? Because he's often read that way. Yes. Okay. So R.H. Tawney wrote a book uh, in the mid-1920s called Religion and the Rise of Capitalism. And it's often seen as like an English version of Max Weber. Weber was German. Um, uh, and sometimes you hear people talking about the Weber-Tawney thesis as if it was the same thing, hmm. which is completely mistaken. It misreads both of them. Look, I should just we should just say some go back and say something a little bit more about what Weber actually saw as the link between uh, Protestantism and capitalism at, before we get into to Tawney, because um, I think it's useful to to, to understand. So what, he has a, a a complex train of thought, but essentially uh, Weber looks at the, the the link between the Protestant Reformation as uh, these new ideas about uh, that come in with 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 Luther and then reaffirmed with the Calvin of the idea of secular vocation, the idea that all uh, believers can find a vocation, a calling from God in their secular work, uh, and uh, and therefore they need to invest their work with religious meaning. And Weber particularly saw how, saw how that played out. Uh, for was looking at how that played out for uh, Dutch merchants in the 16th and 17th century. These people who are, are I, I guess, the, the the tip of the spear of mm. of, of European capitalism, uh, and these were Calvinists. And he was looking at how they behaved and how they invested their uh, the sort of these Dutch Calvinist merchants uh, who invested their work with um as merchants with the sense of a calling from god and he was interested in the way in which particularly the calvinist idea of predestination the idea that there's only a, a certain number of elect the, the 144,000 in the book of revelation uh, who get into heaven and there's uh, the idea that you, there's nothing you can do about whether you're saved or not you are just uh, it's it's predestined um and he was interested in the way that this would produce a, I guess, a very strong sense of uh, psychological anxiety, whether it was up front of mind or sublimated. And, and the way that this drove people, particularly uh, he was looking at these merchants, uh, to seek for some sort of confirmation that they were part of the elect by working hard in their calling, which was <laughs> business and commerce for them, mm. 
doing as uh, and trying to do as well as they could in what in the calling they had. And if that for them that may, meant making lots of money, well, that meant their success in their calling was a sign of their blessing and potentially a sign of their participation in the elect. Um, they got something to prove. Yeah, and what's really interesting about his thought is he's not so much interested in what they state as their sort of uh, front of brain economic ethics, how they think about how I should conduct myself with with money and what's an ethical code of conduct. What he's really interested in is, is the deep psychological motivations that actually drive us. And I think that was actually, a, that's a really interesting question. Uh, but so that's how he, so essentially he sees capitalism, uh, these Dutch merchants uh, uh, being driven by their anxiety to make lots of money, essentially, in their vocation. But the other thing about their their form of uh, religion was that they were um, they couldn't spend it because they um, were about repressing joy. That was the, the general view of Puritans <laughs> and and the Dutch Calvinists. Yeah, uh, you couldn't be seen to be having a good time. You had to work hard. So they're making lots of money, but you couldn't spend it. So what do you do? You reinvest it, and mm. there you have capitalism in its purest form. People working hard to to just make money because that's their job, and then do nothing else with that money but reinvest it to make more money. Mm, mm. And not in a way that they'd necessarily be able to tell you if you ask them. It's this potentially really behind the scenes subconscious drive. Yeah, I mean they would talk about um, uh, they would talk in spiritual language about pursuing their calling and working hard, uh, you know, and stuff like that. But um, they w wouldn't be telling you about their anxiety or, around um, around salvation. Yeah, that's yeah. this. That's Weber's thesis. Um, yeah. that's the way he would put it. Yeah, and apparently there's a Tawny Weber thesis, where they're basically saying the same thing, just Germany, England. But you think that's bunk? Yeah. So Tawny, in his book Religion and the Rise of Capitalism, also has the the Reformation plays a central role in it, uh, and he's writing about capitalism so a lot of people it's again one of those things so many people who never read the book think oh must be saying the same thing hmm. um actually in effect tawny was to a large extent refuting weber's ideas um uh so he thinks weber he, he misun he really underestimates uh how much capitalism had already taken uh taken hold of european civilization before the reformation uh, and how strongly capitalist the particularly the catholic uh north italian city-states were and the the impetus they gave to the rise to, of capitalism he thinks the figure of the sort of the, the the calvinist merchant that is right at the center of weber's thesis is just it's actually not one that's historically tenable he the way he describes calvinism playing out doesn't match the actual history of its development and calvinism it's more complex than that and in it even in its first hundred years, it displays very um, strong senses of what Tawny would call an anti-capitalist, a communitarian ethic mm. as being at the heart of its. Um, and it's not till really until the second century of Calvinism that really starts to take on some of the more what we'd see as um, uh, individualistic and capitalistic uh, tendencies. Yeah, but he's, he still thinks there's, I mean, he's not just like, there's nothing to it. Western Europe, he, it's, there is some sort of like in that 14, late 1400s, early 1500s period, starting in maybe the Italy 
sort of Florence, Venice, Milan, um, there's something to it because we don't see capitalist civilization emerging anywhere else through history. It's specifically in Europe at that time. Well, so, I mean, here's the funny thing. Tawny's book, Religion and the Rise of Capitalism, actually says very little about um, any way in which Christianity uh, might relate to capitalism. What, what he is, his actual thesis, what he, what he is interested in, is not how uh, Christianity might give rise or uh, affect capitalism, but how the rise of capitalism changes Christian belief in mm. Europe. That's that's what he's writing about. Um, so he, he he sees the rise of capitalism uh, actually lying in in much more uh, in a in a complex, if you like, a perfect storm of factors that are happening in Europe in the in the fifteenth and sixteenth and seventeenth century. Um, we won't go into them now, but it's really a a whole bunch of factors which are political, social, economic. Um, commercial changes in intellectual life, changes in religious life, technological changes, all of these things coming together in a complex way to round about uh, the, the period of, uh, you, you said the dates between 1450 and 1550, transforming the shape of European civilization. And he sees religion as playing a role in there, uh, but he's he doesn't really think um, that there's a, a strong causal link between Christianity and capitalism. What he's, he's more interested in is the causal link between the changing economic shape of Europe and then once, once, once the Reformation takes hold, how that influences the changing religious ideas of Europe. Uh, what he's really interested in is um, how ha he wants to explain how it is this, this religion, which is ultimately antithetical to capitalism, becomes seen as its ally mm. Mm. and almost its progenitor yes yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah and so that's what that's what he's trying to trying to to demonstrate how how christianity actually changed how it uh, was a religion that uh even right up until the uh, the reformation was not something that could countenance uh, a capitalist worldview mm. but by the time you get to 1700 it's become something in countries like England and Holland, it's become the norm, the idea that the capitalist worldview and Christianity go hand in glove. Mm. And so Tony, he describes it, that capitalist worldview, he's very careful to say it's not just sort of making money, it's not just markets or these sort of very vague elements of economic life. He's got something that he thinks like emerges that he calls capitalist civilization rather than just like capitalist features maybe that's right because so he's a historian and and weber as well they both of them could see you know right throughout history you could go all over the world and you find people who are driven by greed and profit and involved in commerce making lots of money people who you know behave seem to behave like capitalists and yet they be so you find them in islam in the roman empire in china in japan um in india all, all around the world um but these are not civilizations that you could call describe as capitalist, even though there's, there are people within those civilizations who behave, uh, you know, who pursue profit and commerce. So it's it's capitalism can't just be identified with with those things. What he's interested in is how it comes to be that a civilization gets driven by the imperative of accumulation. Uh, 
and it's really uh, uh, the economic i guess the economic version of a military arms race that's why mm. he sees capitalism if uh, what what europe we understand that in a when a, a, a let's say europe's trapped in an arms race when powers are competing each other against each other militarily to not participate in the uh, accumulation of arms imperils your ongoing existence um, and the, the idea is that in a in a capitalist economic system to not participate in the accumulation race uh, economic accumulation race uh, it also imperils your existence and actually he and many others have seen a very close link between the military arms race and the economic arms race of capitalism mm, mm. well europe is at this time as well as much of its history like just warring states competing for dominance isn't it yeah and that that has a, a very important role to play in in the rise of of capitalism that competitive system mm. so instead of religion or protestantism specifically causing capitalism in a simple one-way relationship tony's like these economic changes accompanied and also influenced the religious changes the religious changes maybe also influenced the economic changes but it's it's more complex than Weber is saying Yes, yeah. So, and what he's really keen to explain is, and and we won't go into this subject matter because I think we've talked about it before, is how you end up with um, the medieval uh, Catholic view of economic life, which is uh, really couldn't countenance a, a capitalist worldview. How we end up with the modern worldview of economic life, which in which Christians seem to have no problem with capitalism. Mm, mm. And I, um, as it happens, did a subject on Reformation history last semester at college. And all through that was interesting to think about, like Weber's kind of right and Tony's right to like notice something going on in Europe that around the time of the Reformation is also around the time of what we call the early modern period, all this sort of science, technology, economic life, lots of things are changing in Europe. Yes. And as a Protestant, that's the water you start off swimming in, like your strand of faith while protestantism is a in some sense a return to the roots of christianity that's what the reformation is about but it's also its own sort of distinct version of christianity and it gets going around that same time and so like medieval economic life or pre-medieval european economic life is kind of foreign to the protestant uh kind of scope of of understanding it's almost like around 1500 with luther that's where sort of Protestant thinking kind of begins. It's always been pre, it's always been early modern from there. It's always had this sort of flavor of technology and progress and science and economic capitalism from the very beginning. It's just interesting to think how that's, how that would shape a Protestant outlook on capitalism, even without being aware of all this sort of stuff. It's kind of the water we've been swimming in. Yeah, I think that's a really important insight, Jacob. And for those who are Protestant, um, not to throw away, throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, um, therefore, we need to turn our back on the Re Reformation. But it is to recognise how it that Protestantism has grown up in this environment, um, and uh, the way it, uh, it it grew up in an environment which basically turned its back on the a thousand years of Christian ethics, which took very seriously. Uh, um, a whole bunch of the economic ideas um, of Christianity and try to apply them at a social level um, and turned its back on the idea that uh, the church had something to say about economic life 
and amped up, I guess, what, what Tony would call the spiritual relig- individualism of uh, Protestantism, its core insight that uh, nothing stands between the indiv- every individual believer and God. Mm. Uh, uh, but that, uh, that incredible light that the Prof- uh, Reformation shone on the individual's relationship with God was, Tony wrote of it as a light, almost too blinding. It blotted out the rest of society so that mm. people couldn't even see their neighbours anymore. Um, all that was left was the 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 barren soul uh, left with God, and it didn't touch material life, and it didn't affect their social conduct and their neighbours. Yeah, and if that's, I mean, obviously that's simplifying it somewhat, but if capitalism or capitalist civilization is all that most Protestants have ever known, it makes sense that it would feel quite neutral and that it would feel like faith doesn't have anything to do with economic life or material life, maybe. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. 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 But that's, that's not what Tawny's getting at. He doesn't think capitalist civilization is neutral, does he? Absolutely not. So Tawny is, um, so he was an Anglican, a very committed Christian. Um, he has a very strong sense. He's part of what's that, that movement of Anglicanism that is called um, Anglo-Catholic. He was Anglo-Catholic, um, have, uh, which gives a central role to the understanding of the, 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 the incarnation in history. So the idea that the word became flesh and therefore God's communication to humanity uh, touches and affects material life in every way. Uh, and it's given to a material world, to material beings, and we have to understand what God has, uh, says to us about our material being, our bodies, and how we live out uh, our bodies in a material world in relation to our neighbours, in relation to creation, and so on. So um, he sees capitalism as something that is um, really disastrous to the Christian faith uh, in terms of, and, and toxic to it, mm. to the inclinations of uh, uh, the, the good news that's given through the word that becomes flesh. What sorts of disastrous effects, just as a taste? Oh, so, uh, so the, the, the core impulse of capitalism is the impulse of more, uh, of and more money, that, more material goods, but more money. And, and this completely ignores our purpose and object of human beings, which is uh, beings who are given in relationship and for love. Uh, and so our, our, the very essence of our being is distorted and directed in um, in a false, in the wrong direction, in what, a direction that leads to death. So it's, it is literally false worship. Um, Tawny thought of capitalism as a counter-religion. It leads us in the exact opposite way we want to need to be moving, which is towards God and towards each other and the rest of creation. So, I mean, it's all well and good to say, well, okay, Christianity doesn't create capitalism, it's more complex than that. But at the same time, it's hard not to look at the history of Europe and then as follows after that sort of burgeoning of European power, the history of the globe, and not think, well, it does seem to line up pretty strongly with the Reformation. Yeah. It, yep. does, it does seem like there's something going on in Western Europe around this time. There's been Christianity in Europe for a thousand, if not 
1500 years, depending on how you want to call it, by that point, why did capitalism rise, or capitalist civilization, a sort of society fundamentally operating on capitalist principles, why did that rise then if capitalism is so antithetical to Christianity? How do we explain that it rose in Christian Europe and not somewhere else? Yeah, it is, and, and that it is a beguiling question, isn't it? Is, isn't it? And um, so, I mean, here we, we, I don't think anyone yet has given a really good answer to this, but I think there are a few people who who, who point us in a in a useful direction. Um, so I think we, at this point, become more speculative about how we think, look at these historical relationships. And perhaps the first thing to say is, um, yeah, so it is a really beguiling question. Um, why is it Christian Europe that, that gives rise, or how is it so that Christian Europe gives rise to capitalism? And the very first qualification we need to make is that, well, European civilization was only ever less than half Christian, really. Hmm. <laughs> so we, although we talk about Christendom and we talk about a Christian civilization, and I think that's... Um, that's legitimate that they and i think and we have talked in the past about um the enormous wealth of uh, uh and fruit for humanity that came out of christendom and we'll probably talk about it again uh however uh that said it was full of all sorts of hypocrisies and compromises and um europe was was never really converted fully and i think the image which i'm taking from uh, the theologian David Bentley Hart, which is that it was only ever less than half Christian, is is I think an accurate one. Mm. Yeah, I think we need to to look for the roots of how to explain it to go way back uh, in history beyond before the Reformation. We probably need to go another thousand years back and more to to begin to 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 find the roots of it. Mm. Mm. Uh, just as you were saying, less than half Christian, it makes me think of. Uh, the rapacious violence and acquisition of the Normans, for one, and also uh, Charlemagne, who famously converted, in inverted commas, the Saxons, uh, after defeating them in battle, converted them, saying, well, you can either become Christian or I can kill you. It's not exactly the religion of Christ unadulterated that we're seeing there, I would say. Well, exactly. So what, what you have there is Christianity in, in roughly the, the, the 9th and 10th centuries uh, and 11th centuries uh, encountering Germanic cultures um, that were, were up until the time they became Christian pagan. And it really, uh, the conversion of those cultures began with the conversion of rulers in a very often superficial way. Um, and so that had a huge impact. But I think we can go even further back than that. We need to go back to uh, the conversion of the Roman Emperor Constantine um, back in the 4th century AD. So he was converted, we think, around about 312 AD <coughs> to Christianity. And in basically the 100 years that followed that, the Roman Empire became uh, led to a process of it becoming uh, re Christianity becoming the official religion of the Roman Empire, and that's a that's a period that um, some people talk as what we call it the Constantinian shift. The idea that in the fourth century, when when that happened, uh, we see a, a a huge change in the nature of of Christian ethics, how Christians think about how they 
conduct themselves in the world. Um, so, for example, to, as one theologian put it, uh, before Constantine became Christian, if you were to be a Christian in the Roman Empire, it took a lot of conviction uh, before that time. A uh, hundred years later, to not be a Christian in the Roman Empire took a lot of conviction. <laughs> mm, you get this welding of power and religious belief. Yeah, and so um, once you have the Roman Emperor, who, the, a person who is by nature immensely wealthy and whose job is, if you like, to be more successfully violent than everyone else <laughs> and, <laughs> and so keep the peace, that's his job description, yeah, yeah. then that means you cannot read the New Testament to say what it actually says. So all, what Jesus says about turn the other cheek, uh, his his example of of nonviolent witness his language about um how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of god well once once you have the the rich violent elite of uh of the roman empire all being christian then it's hard uh, you need to find ways of allowing them to continue their uh their jobs <laughs> their wealthy uh, violent ways their wealthy violent ways and to 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 create some very large needles for people to pass through Mm. Uh, if you like, uh, and so, so that begins the 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 very uh, important trick that Christians learn around in the fourth century of reading their their New Testament in ways that means uh, to get it to say what it something other than what it actually seems to say on on, on face value, mm. and right there at the root uh, that when Christians learn that trick of reading the words of Jesus. Uh, to mean something else than other, other than what he's saying, particularly about very substantive things like uh, money, wealth, and violence, uh, then that uh, has a huge impact then on the, the shape of what becomes the quote-unquote Christian civilization that follows in its course. Mm. And so you get that with the Germanic rules. They're, they stand in that inheritance line of, oh, well, this is how we've talked about it previously. We can continue to justify it. Yes, that's right, and and so as and Tawny wrote quite eloquently that the triumph of the church in the fourth century was also the source of its compromise with um, with wealth and power. Uh, it was it was at that point uh, once it compromised that it really stopped its mouth um, from speaking in the ways in which Christians had done in the first three centuries of Christianity around those things. Mm, and inevitably, like once Christianity becomes the religion of power in Europe, you're going to have some elements of the society being moderated by Christian ethics, but you're also going to have Christian ethics being moderated by the needs of that society, sort of as you're saying. That's right. And that's, and that's, I think you put that well, because it is really difficult. Um, again and again, it's uh, in trying to, to pull this apart historically, we, people tend to either fall one way or the other and to say that, um, uh, you know, uh, um, look at how how much uh, good was achieved through Christendom in terms of uh, thinking about through ethics and politics and um, how we think about humanity and human rights and all these sorts of things. Um, and on the other hand, uh, uh, you have people who want to say, look how corrupt Christendom was, how uh, hi hypocritical it was, how it, it ignored some of the, the most basic teachings of Jesus. Um, and the reality is both is true, and mm. we ne the, the difficulty is holding these these things together to to not have a simplistic 
uh, uh, view of it all. And there were always people preaching against particular uses of wealth and power and, and practices being homogenized to suit wealth and power from like, you know, Chrysostom preaching in Constantinople and getting kicked out for saying the rich ought to be more, um, ought to be better to the poor and things like that, to like St. Francis or various monastic movements in the medieval period, that it, uh, there's always a conversation being had around these things. It's not like everyone just shuts up about it. Yes, yeah, that that's right. And, and, and that conversation goes, look, as we've said in previous podcasts, the medieval church had enormous amount to say about economic ethics and kept reading its New Testament and so on. But they had, we had, had learnt these tricks of hypocrisy around the New Testament. And also uh, the other core trick that comes in was once you start to say that as once you get into the, the I guess the heart of Christendom in the, the middle, the high middle ages and from then on, then on forward, when you start to say that all of Christian, oh, sorry, all of Europe is Christian and therefore we live in a Christian society with Christian laws, then actually Christian conduct or Christian ethics simply becomes the social norm, just following the laws and mm. doing what's normal. And therefore, once you start, stop thinking of Christian conduct as something distinctive or different from the norm, and, but, and actually being the norm, then when the norm changes, as happens with the rise of uh, in, with, with capitalism, when the norms are being revolutionized uh, to a large extent around economic conduct, then people who are habituated to just thinking about their, their Christian ethics as, as conforming to the norm, uh, just go along with those changes. And I, that right there is, I, I guess, how you see at the, a very basic level how it is that uh, when capitalism comes, comes up, it doesn't receive a challenge from quote-unquote Christian Europe has already been used to seeing its, um, you know, whatever social norms are as being, as being Christian. Mm. They'd already learned how to habituate wealth and power into the system many, many centuries before. So when the shift occurs, it's just yep. a different sort of compromise or a different sort of agreement reached. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean... It still, it still feels weird to me to think like, well, the Reformation happens, capitalism happens around the same time. Has has Weber got anything in that that you think is really going for it in that thesis? Uh, I think uh, less so. What what is I think really interested in in Weber's work is less so to his ideas about the Reformation, which I think he he. He got historically wrong, actually. I think he misunderstood it historically. Mm. Um, but actually, some of his um, more very basic ideas and insights into Christianity, which I think uh, have been taken up by some other, both uh, theologians and sociologists, I think um, uh, are, give much more insight. And so one of those was his idea of Christianity being... Um, this a religion of restless salvation, mm. and the idea that uh, one of the huge changes that 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 Christianity brings into to the world that that just the very nature of of following Jesus Christ and who the New Testament talks how the New Testament talks about who He is, is that once you are uh, uh, once you are animated by this faith, you have this natural 
impulse to want to change the world to make it better. So uh, you you have this you you have these ideas about the thing like the kingdom of God uh, coming to earth. You have ideas uh, of of the poor being blessed. You have these ideas of the universal brotherhood of humanity. And when you look at the world, you see a world in which that is not the case, and you feel moved to change it. And there's a lot of um, the New Testament provides uh, all sorts of um, impulse for human agency to to change the world for the better to to tr- to treat their neighbors world uh, well and to ch- to change things mm. and in that what you you create is people with a very dynamic sense of time uh, people who are who want to change things who are forward looking which is a, a powerful force for good in the world when that is anchored to the christian motivation when that's anchored to christ uh, and it becomes a force for justice and equality and things like that Mm. but when it's unanchored when it's unanchored and here's the key when that when you have that sort of idea of restless salvation of wanting to to change the world that becomes weakens its its attachment to christ either weakens or breaks then what you have is this uh it changes nature quite dramatically and uh uh, so then you you have this idea of a forward-looking sense of uh, wanting to change the world uh, to remake it, but for what? What's the motivation? And and there, when when you have other new motivations come in, when it, it's to remake the world to be a better place for me, or for for me to be happier, or for my nation to be great, or what you name it, what mm. you know, fill, mm. fill in the the blank there of what. Um, then you actually have let loose something incredibly destructive in the world. Uh, and it's this idea that the theologian Oliver O'Donovan writes, uh, I think, quite powerfully on this, that um, that turning away from Christ is something far worse and more dangerous than, uh, than pre-Christian or non-Christian uh, impulses are. So pre-Christian and non-Christian impulses um, are, are, are impulses that haven't yet encountered Christ. But those who cultures and societies or individuals who have experienced something of the transformation of Christ and then turned away from that become much more dangerous because they have these uh, incredibly powerful ideas in them around changing the world, uh, but which are unanchored from the thing which would make them good ideas. Mm. They become not Christian ideas, but they become antichrist. And that's he writes in quite powerful language about that. Yeah. Or even even like a secular perspective, saying something quite similar in a way is the Tom Holland thesis in his book Dominion of like the the theological impetus within Christianity has been decoupled from the explicitly religious, but it's still propelling sort of Western civilization onwards toward that kind of striving and working towards good in the world, but it's no longer explicitly theological. It's just sort of in the culture it's in it's in the world of western civilization to do that yeah yeah and i think that explains a lot about our modern western world is we are a uh, not a non-christian culture but a post-christian culture um, mm. so something a uh, culture that has had a deep engagement or has been touched by christianity and in a an important and real way turned away from that um, so it is still affected by a lot of what 
influenced by some of what is uh, in good ways by Christianity, but in it has taken some of those influences also in some quite dangerous directions as well. Mm. So just to finish then, if we don't tend to understand history particularly in depth and these sorts of things are just sort of in the in the ether, how can we begin to expand our imagination about the link between or the lack of link between um, Protestantism or Christianity and capitalism or the link between just going along with what's normal and thinking that's Christian, the Christian thing to do, just upholding the status quo because that's what Christians have done for a thousand or more years? Oh, well, um, that's a huge question. And, you know, <laughs> that I guess that's what our, our podcasts uh, <clears throat> are all about in one way or another. And, you know, at the very heart of it, I think it requires simply a re-engagement with, uh, with the Bible in, with new eyes um i think that's where it where, where it has to start um and a re-engagement particularly also with the early history of christianity um is also there's a, a wealth of stuff there uh, at, <coughs> really to begin to take what the new testament says about jesus seriously mm. um and then to begin to think about what that means for the for the world in which we now live yeah and that's that's applicable to every christian but I, it makes me think even particularly for Protestants, if the Reformation is about a return to the roots of Christianity, which is what yes. it explicitly was trying to do, then that's exactly in line with the Reformation <laughs> to return to well, what is the New Testament actually saying in its context? And let's revive that. Yes, yes. Yeah. And maybe one day we should do a podcast on the Radical Reformation, which had a, quite a different reading of economic ethics from, from the mainstream Reformation. Mm, that sounds fascinating. I don't know much about it. I'm keen to learn. <laughs> cool. Well, to finish off today, we've just got a quote from R.H. Tawney. There are a couple to pick from. They're all really good. Um, and we've selected this one from Religion and the Rise of Capitalism, that book we've been discussing. And he doesn't mince words when he says this. Compromise is as impossible between the church of Christ and the idolatry of wealth, which is the practical religion of capitalist societies, as it was between the church and the state idolatry of the Roman Empire. Which, of course, was that state idolatry of the cult of the emperor and got a lot of Christians in trouble when they refused to worship. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you want more good news economics, check out Manor Matters. That's the quarterly publication of Managum. That's available online for free at managum.org.au. And if you feel like this was a good episode, Share it around with someone. Rate us on iTunes, even if you don't use iTunes. That really helps us be found in the metrics and all of that stuff in the background. Um, and, yeah, if you really like what we're doing at Managum, we're a, a ministry funded entirely by donations. So if you want to donate, you can go onto that same website and there's a button to do that as well. Thanks to everyone who already does that. Thanks, Jonathan. I learned a lot. Thank you, Jacob. Catch you guys next time.